I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... Hollywood has met the Potomac. Donald Trump was nothing if not a brilliant communicator and able to control literally every news cycle. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Today, we're rejoined by one of our old friends, Richard Levick. Richard is the founder and president of Levick, a crisis management PR firm based right here in the Washington area. He had a fascinating phrase, which you'll hear us discuss. Sometimes the truth is made by the first person there. So the first person to describe an issue is sometimes the definer of what is the truth around that issue. So what does it mean to advise companies that are having problems with their brand, with their customers, with their outcomes, with their financing? It's a whole different marketplace. And Richard Levick walks us through that. Here's our conversation. Richard, welcome to the show once again. So crisis management, I know that's kind of a both a limiting and maybe too broad a term, but I will bring up an example of what I, I'll bet you guys are probably being asked to think about, and that is the turning over of Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court. We're not a political show, but here's a, a lightning round a challenge to you. If you were Wendy Davis, I'm not sure if you know Wendy from the state of Texas, who um, famously on the floor of the State House of Texas did a what, 22 hour or something um, filibuster. Uh, f- filibuster, thank you for some of the challenges there. And a very, very interesting voice uh, for, uh, for reproductive rights. If you were uh, advising some of the reproductive rights organizations to not push back because the Supreme Court already decided, what are some ways you might consider tactically building messages for them that would have an impact? Uh, You know, I think that's one of the uh, truly great challenges. And I will say this. I'm a constitutionalist. I'm a lawyer by nature. I teach – I used to teach the politics of U.S. constitutional law. I teach at Fordham Law School. I'm not a practicing lawyer. I don't pretend uh, that I'm – deeply immersed in these issues. But I, you know, I do think is as clear as the lawyer who argued uh, the Pennsylvania versus uh, Casey, the Planned Parenthood versus Casey, uh, which uh, reaffirmed uh, Roe, that just do the math. It's six to three. There is nothing you can do about the courts. And I think for those who are either pro-choice or liberal or progressives, that the realization is that the trust that they, we put in the courts our entire adult lives, I mean, since the Burger Court, since the Warren Court, may have been misplaced because the court has clearly moved, you know, when I would argue what's the fiction of originalism, which is to say, well, we're going to read the text of the document as as it was originally written, but that's selective. It's sort of outcome determinative, and we can spend hours on that. I don't think there's anything you can do before the courts. You know, there will obviously be many more cases, but thinking that somehow an argument will be made. And I think people are frustrated with President Joe Biden, but he's absolutely right, which is people have to go out and vote. But it's over. I mean, even if there were uh, Democratic majorities in both houses and the presidency, you've got a 6-3 majority with largely very young justices so I know, and I fear that Americans have a view of the presidency as a wizard. You can just wave a wand and right. somehow make changes. 
I don't see how this is anything less than a generational change. So I concur, and I guess even if we had a um, supermajority of 60-plus in the Senate and a huge majority in the House back in the day, right, which we had, we couldn't impeach Gorsuch. I mean, I, I guess you technically could impeach Gorsuch. Remember, they wanted to impeach Earl Warren back in the day to to flip the court around, or you could maybe vote to increase the size of the court. But I guess what I'm hearing you saying is that's not the argument. The argument now is state by state. So let's let's say let's say you're hired by the state of, oh, I don't know, um, New York, which is trying to protect the way they think of things with their governor. Um, is this a state by state issue? And and would you give them advice on that? Well, it largely is. But to think that it's going to be a communications issue, this is really a legal issue. And what the state of New York has just done on guns, because that, too, was at the end of this tumultuous court, the New York state uh, century old uh, gun law was struck down as being too broad. They have tried to enshrine it in the Constitution with new law in the state of New York, which will come into effect on September 1st. But that, too, will eventually be litigated. And and I think that, you know, here's a mistake that uh, a lot in the pro-choice uh, movement have made, and I say this with no criticism. This movement to the court, both at the federal, the U.S. Supreme Court, the federal level, and at stage courts, has been going on for over 40 years. Exactly. Why are we surprised? We're not We're not surprised. You know, right before the Dobbs leak, the, the leak of the case that would overturn Roe, 20% of Americans thought Roe would be overturned. For 49-plus years, uh, for those who enjoyed uh, choice, which is most of America, enjoyed the right of choice, that we took it in some ways for granted. And I think that we missed the battle that was going on at state governorships, at state houses, now it's at the school board level. You know, I'm. You know, right now I was reading an article this week. Right now, law schools are struggling with two things. One, how do we teach constitutional law when right. things are being turned on its head? I mean, it's as if we've overturned Brown versus Board of Education to right. end segregation and put it instead Plessy versus Ferguson and reversed back. This right. is the first time an individual right has ever been taken away. And the other thing that's deeply challenging is that in Clarence Thomas's concurrence, he talks about despite uh, despite the uh, Justice Alito's argument to the contrary in the majority opinion, that he wants to look at not only LGBTQ rights, same-sex marriage, access to contraception, but also uh, privacy, substantive due process. These are things that we have accepted as freedom laws. Of the press. Freedom of the press. Well, you know, already we're talking about New York Times v. Sullivan, which is, yeah. of course, the libel standard. Are we going to retrograde at, at that speed? And for companies, and I've written about this recently, if you're talking about the Thomas vision, remember, he's the most powerful person in the court now. Yeah. And, you know, fascinatingly, he cited himself 11 times in his concurrence, not stare decisis, but himself, 10 of which were solo dissents. So you really do have law that is outcome determinative being written by justice's own perspectives and then retroactively saying, oh, it's original intent. And I and I I don't think that people realize this is just the beginning. It's just the beginning of 30 years. Well, I noticed that Justice Thomas apparently has failed to include interracial marriage in one of the things he wants to turn over because his spouse, of course, is Ginny Thomas, Caucasian, uh, and he is not. But 
Let's let's talk about PR challenges in another vein. But before we go, if I may, on your point about Loving v. Virginia, 1967, which uh, said that states uh, that prohibited interracial marriage violated the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment, that Thomas talks about this very issue and talks about maybe we overturn Oberfeld, which is the same-sex marriage right. And, And if you follow this string... Oberfeld cites Loving v. Virginia three times. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you pull this string, that's right. why I say we're just at the beginning. And if you say, well, it's a communications issue, no. It is an issue of power. Well, I think as, as many uh, red state governors and red state senators say, they believe that blue states and Democrats believe in a nation that they don't believe in. I mean, literally a different nation. We could, we could spend two days about that. Let me get to crisis management in a more mundane but I think interesting way. Sports spokespeople for brands. Brittany Griner pled guilty in Russian court for a drug offense. I'm not sure what her, I guess they're talking 11 or plus years. So brands that choose sports people or prominent people as their spokespeople, there are example after example after example where that spokesperson does something wacky, embarrassing, what kind of what what kind of advice do you give to clients when they're looking for uh, be it a business to business arena looking for an executive to say I, I use this product or I love it or a consumer product to say you know Brooks Robinson sorry I'm dating myself now uh, but some sports person or some prominent person a rapper whatever uses it do you tell them to back away from that and use like an animated character or kind of where 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 do you go through this it's you know it's it, for a while we went through a period where sports for athletes as spokespeople uh, had its risk you know Colin Kaepernick but of course uh, Nike used that to their extreme advantage but because yeah. it was consistent with their brand and by the way after 10 days of challenges and there's so many lessons here but you saw a six billion dollar delta in their market cap when they did that. So for companies- Positive Delta. Positive Delta. And I would say to companies a few things here. One, understand where the market is going. Yeah. Be willing to sacrifice those customers that are not part of where the market is going. Two, be authentic and stand for what you really, what you stand for. Three, be willing to withstand the challenges. You know, threats of boycotts on the, in the internet age are the easiest thing to do. They're seldom actualized. Right. Be courageous. Uh, and then, you know, on a broader sweep, I would say it is so easy to be criticized now. You don't need an athletic, a professional athlete spokesperson to get in trouble. It can be for anything that's said or done. You know, the famous example, of course, is United at Chicago's O'Hare with Dr. Dow and the videos that went viral starting on Sunday night when he's deplaned. Yeah. You know, that's not an advertising campaign, but in fact, it's everything that we know, fly, fly the friendly skies about United, yeah. you know, uh, that we know Drag about United, yeah. that, that is being used against them. The same, you know, with BP right before the Gulf oil spill. Beyond Petroleum was a brilliant 10 year campaign. I had suggested, you know, we worked on it, but not for BP, one of the other entities involved. And I, and, but we developed this relationship with BP, of course. And I had said to the general counsel, what do you think about changing the acronym now to beg your pardon? But they didn't go with, you know, they didn't, they didn't go with that. It was a thought. It was a thought. But, you know, anything now can put your brand in jeopardy. I, I think the idea of sort of sticking with it through thick and thin is an interesting play, as you mentioned on, on Nike. And this is another topic, the cycle of, bad news seems to have shrunk from 
fatal in some situations in the 50s, 60s, and 70s to ours. How do you deal with clients who basically say, I don't care, this will all be yesterday's news soon. And in prior years, you would have said, you need to, you know, as in Tylenol, you need to just make a public stand. You need to have uh, 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 messages out to your consumers, to your vendors, to your d- distribution channels. When did this compression happen, and, and do you think it'll ever expand again? I'm not sure it will. And, you know, you, you, a couple of fascinating examples you just raised. You know, the Jim, Jim Burke, the late Jim Burke, who was the head of Johnson & Johnson and Tylenol, still an icon for how to handle a crisis. But that was an issue for weeks and weeks. Yeah. You know, I double dare you. Name three business stories that lasted for weeks and weeks during the Trump administration. And I can only think of three, Carlos Goshen, Volkswagen and Dieselgate and Boeing. And everything else comes and goes very quickly. So I think the fear of headline risk, which was great for our business for decades, is largely gone. The other thing is that Hollywood has met the Potomac. And Donald Trump was nothing if not a brilliant communicator and able to control literally every news cycle crowding out business stories. So he does two things. One, he teaches CEOs, even without a national political bully pulpit, that maybe headline risk isn't as frightening. His numbers, he continues to succeed. He almost won a second term. The other is that you can you can withstand these bullets. You know, you're going to be okay. Yeah. So those three, you mentioned Carlos Gosen, VW Dieselgate, and Boeing. Is anybody not flying a 737 MAX now because of that? No. Well, I think Have they the, fixed it? I'm not sure, by the way. I think that the challenge for Boeing is significant. You know, maybe a better example uh, it, it, because they have been – they've been harmed. But it, remember, they're, they're still – at the end of the day, Boeing is B2B, so it's fewer customers. Yeah. And although the difference between B2C, business to consumer, and business to business has shrunk, it's still a lot fewer customers you have to please. And those are B2C companies, you know, then they need to make sure that their, their customers uh, are comfortable. But, you know, for Volkswagen, Dieselgate may have been as significantly impactful as the Pinto was a generation and a half ago. And I'm not so sure it was anywhere near as problematic. We're talking with Richard Levick. And, yes, he tossed in Pinto at the end of our first section here for a reason, because we're going to talk about marketing and branding in even more detail as we return on What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Stay tuned. On What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. So thanks for listening. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. Many of our guests have come to us from others who say... Hey, if your show's about people who are really getting things done in the region, you should really be talking to dot, dot, dot. And we love bringing those new voices to our audience. We look forward to hearing from you.
It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Once again, we're with Richard Levick. He's the founder and CEO of Levick, a business-to-business crisis PR firm based here in Washington, D.C. I shouldn't say business-to-business because I'm sure you have clients that are aimed at business-to-consumer. And speaking of business-to-consumer, we were talking about brands and brand damage and how brands can sort of surpass that and how today you can sort of ride the wave for a month or two and maybe kind of come out of the tunnel. My surfer analogy is going to keep going here. Uh, relatively unscathed versus the old days when a brand like Pinto was toast. I mean, they stopped making the Pinto for a darn good reason. The Pinto could have been, I promise there's a point here, Richard, the Pinto could have been re-engineered as the safest car in the history of mankind, and it didn't matter because it was the butt of jokes on Johnny Carson for 20 years. Those days seem to be over. Is that because media is so wide that there's no sort of consolidation of media messaging like a Johnny Carson show would have been in three networks? Or is there some of the reason that I'm missing? Well, first, truth is not something that we know with certainty. Truth is what we know first. It's a race to the truth. Yeah. So if our perception of Pinto is as a flammable, dangerous car, that permeates all logic and reasoning thereafter. So I don't think you know companies and brands are in an impervious state but they certainly are in a different place than they were at the time of Tylenol or uh, Pinto. The lessons are still highly relevant. But companies need to recognize that if they don't handle a situation quickly, the narrative and then the legal issues follow thereafter. So there's still that risk. But you're right. Because of all the media platforms, it's a lot easier to overcome in time. And also we were talking earlier about – the balkanization of media and people being able to find their own sort of bubble. In some ways, Clarence Thomas is the perfect example. He found his own bubble, which is all of his decisions or all of his opinions, and he uses them as reference points for what what, what he decides. This idea of finding an arena that tells you back what you believe already seems incredibly dangerous. Have you seen any glimmer of a way to get past that so that a consumer media, a regular consumer out there, is able to find data that can conflict with and maybe re-energize their examining some of their basic opinions? Or are we fated for being stuck in our own referential opinion generation machine? Tragically, I feel that we are in a rabbit hole and I don't see yeah. a way to reverse out. You know, when Walter Cronkite back in 1963 took off his glasses and said, the president is dead regarding John F. Kennedy, That was the moment. He'd been dead for half an hour. That was the moment that we knew and accepted it. Mm -hmm. When Walter Cronkite again said the war in Vietnam was lost, that had this extraordinary impact. It was a time of Sherpas, of rabbis, that we were referential. And maybe that gave media too much power, but they also were regulated by the FCC. So there was equal time. There was the fairness doctrine. And we sensed that we were debating issues. Today, there's no epistemology. I mean, remember when we were undergraduates and you would read uh, Karl Marx, you know, the Marx Angles reader, and then you'd go home to Thanksgiving dinner and you'd get in the argument with your parents back and forth. That was epistemology. Yeah. You were discussing, you were learning, you were realizing, you know, both the high points and the low points of your own argument. Now we start with what we presume to be the truth and then we only fill it in. We no longer are taking in information. And, you know, you and I, again, we're talking pre-show about the power of what we used to call the FANG companies, but Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, their extraordinary power. We think we're in control of these handheld devices or our keyboards. We're not. They control us. 
And the idea of reasoning and of wisdom is no longer something that we honor. So an unfair question, but if you if a client came in, a business client with a real problem, let's take Volkswagen and, and reuse that for they just found out that uh, people had lied in their factory and, in fact, the uh, mileage and the, uh, and the pollution index out of their engines was false. Is there one person or, or thing that you would wish would be aligned with your message for them that you could recruit? Or to your point on Cronkite, is there no such entity now today? There is one key lesson, and this is a mistake companies make over and over and over again. Whether by intention or nonfeasance, an error, an egregious error was missed. Companies look to huddle, mm. circle the wagons. No one looks need any need look any further than Sandusky and Penn State, where oh we've not realized what he was doing, or Michigan State and yeah. the gymnastics controversy. The Ohio tragedy. State with Jim Jordan, the right. wrestling coach. That they see you see this, and rather than say you know Richard Nixon taught us, it's not the crime, it's the cover up. Once you recognize the error, what, no, even if there's a sacrifice, rip the Band-Aid off, product, person, division, make the sacrifice. The Marines say always better to sacrifice an arm than your life in a knife fight. Look forward. And to continue the Volkswagen metaphor a little further, look in the windshield, not in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. Why do they not do that? Is it fear of litigation and being held personally responsible? What, 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 why do they keep relearning this incredibly obvious lesson? Because one, a lot of these people are our friends. Two, maybe it occurred on our watch. Three, we think maybe just like, you know, when we feel that lump, maybe this will go away. Yeah. We, we, you know, we won't be outed. And there is a chance that it will, it, it, you will not be outed. And so you, you, you throw, you roll the dice on that. The challenge is that the cost for that is so extraordinarily high you know, an example that I use, someone who was a former client when he was at CSX, but you look at the uh, Oscar Munez, who was over you know, uh, at uh, United, first both uh, as the president and then briefly as the chairman of the board. Terrific, brilliant uh, crisis manager as a CEO. And yet he mishandled the Dr. Dow m- moment when he was violently taken off the plane at Chicago's O'Hare by the Chicago Transit Authority. Why? And if you read the first two days when he's not dealing with it properly, it's because he's looking backwards. Before his time, United had all those uh, – had had very significant pilot and employee strike. And he said, this is a chance to bond. This is a chance to show my commitment rather than saying, wait a minute. We have been expanding into China for 30 years. This is not only a great threat to us in the United States but also in Globally. China. Yeah, That's right. Well, you have a podcast. Tell me about that and tell me how that sort of aligns with your firm's marketing and messaging and, if at all, new client discovery, current client satisfaction, new issues that you can uncover uh, that you present to your future clients? Well, thank you. It's called In-House Warrior. It's the daily podcast of the Corporate Council Business Journal. I'm honored. We're now in the top 15% of all podcasts Way globally. Thank you. I did a show this morning out of Kiev, the Ukraine, with my guest. And that's probably emblematic. Yes, we have you know former U.S. attorney generals, former uh, state attorney generals, Councils, to, uh, former councils to the president. We get everyone on. So the guest list is terrific. 
almost as good as what's working in Washington. It, nothing is as good no, as thank that. Thank you. But you know, we, you know, we, that was obvious going on the I, show. I, I, just, I, I knew it didn't need to be said. Well, and plus, it was in the fine print of what thank I signed in order yeah. to appear. The agreement. But thank you. That I think what makes the show special is it gets personal. You know, it's not just about what's happening in Ukraine from a business point of view, but what is it like for you? What is yeah. it like for you personally to talk, you know, with the lawyer who argued, you know, Planned Parenthood v. Casey or with a counsel to the president or, um, you know, lawyers who are at the cutting edge? When you, you know, we did a show with uh, Michael Caputo, who was the former undersecretary at HHS, to be trusted by someone from the Trump administration who had been pushed out by them, heavily criticized on COVID. He only gave two interviews after his horrendous cancer uh, and recovery. And, you know, he did one on our show. And I think the trust and relationship is critically uh, important. And I do think that the authenticity, the openness, and yes, it's a show with a lot of lawyers, but it's for anyone who's interested in where the crossroads of business, politics, and law. Well, if anyone can make lawyers interesting, it is you, my friend, Richard Levick, the founder and CEO of Levick, a prices PR firm based here in Washington, D.C. So we ask all of our guests, as you know, since you are now a returning guest at the end of our show, to answer the question, if you could, if you ran the world, and you could make one thing start to happen or stop one thing from happening or both, what would it be? Well, this is probably unfair. And, you know, I think, first of all, I, I was uh, a returning guest, I think, when we heard the, you know, Watson come here, uh, right? Yes. It's been, been yeah. on the show and honored any number of times. But I keep thinking back. You know, I hear people say, oh, the court, you know, Ruth Gator, Bader Ginsburg stayed on too long, Nader running in Florida, Bush v. Gore. You know, there's a guy named Joe Biden, you may have heard, and yep. he was the chair of the Senate committee that was doing the Clarence Thomas hearings yes. all those years ago, four decades ago. And there was a second witness who was going to back up Anita Hill. His respect for the decorum of the Senate was such that he thought it's not needed. Enough damage has been done. And I have great respect for a conservative jurist. Um, I think Clarence Thomas is a pretty radical one at that. Yeah. And that's the moment that it would be helpful, I think, not to have that such a powerful part of our public discussions today. So going back in time, you would have had Biden uh, quarterback that tr that that interaction more aggressively uh, with the witnesses and brought him in. Right. I, I think so. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, that is a fascinating moment because I agree. That's that, There's sort of a, a path divergence in the woods with that jurist. Um, and now we are seeing, you said earlier, he's probably the single most important person of the nine. And we're going to see his impact echoing for decades and decades. Richard Levick, fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers.
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.